also extend a greeting in Jesus' name to each one here this morning, and a welcome to the visitors. Floyd already mentioned that the last week and all the events that happened, I did feel like before we get into the message, I should announce it. I wonder if somebody would mind pulling that middle curtain down just a little bit. Yeah, right there. It's a tense glare in my eyes from there. Thank you. Um, I never thought about it until this morning um, when my wife and I were getting ready to come to church that we should probably have announced it or at least put on the, the uh, church message system for you all that, that uh, Sammy J. Stolzfus, some of you would know him as Gid Sammy, would have been my uncle, passed away early Wednesday, Thursday morning, and that funeral was yesterday. And I regret not uh, having left some of you know. I'm concerned that may have been some here that would have wanted to go. Never once thought about it till this morning. But Sammy passed away, and and then Floyd referenced his mother passing away. And each time when there's passings like this, and uh, it, it, it tends to give us opportunity to stop and think and review our own lives. Um, I didn't know Floyd's mother as well, but I knew Uncle Sammy quite well, and, and all of us nephews think we're his favorite nephew. He's just one of those men that uh, just had a way of making you feel like uh, you were the most important person in his life at that moment when he was talking to you. And, and so um, it, it uh, behooves us to think about that and, and to think about the life some of these that have gone on before us have left and the legacy they've left behind us. What are we doing today? Um, are we living out God's call in our lives? So the message this morning is, is titled, Maintaining a Biblical Focus in a Complex World. Um, some of you know that the three local churches here, have, we've, we've assigned topics. Each one of us ministers have been assigned a topic to prepare and share in the other churches. And I preached this at Weavertown about a month ago, maybe a little over a month ago. So it's not a topic that um, I chose. In fact, a I told somebody it's a little like when we were when we were going to school we would trade lunches sometimes, and I kind of was tempted to see if we could trade topics with someone. Um, subtopics, subti- subtitles underneath this were preserving a simple lifestyle, living as pilgrims, avoiding the world's traps, maintaining a biblical focus in a complex world. <laughs> I kind of ran into a dead end right there. No, not maintaining a biblical focus part, but in a complex world. Um, one could give a 10-step list. We could try to come up with a 10-step list and say, well, this and that and then the other thing. I'm not minded. I don't. I, I, I worry sometimes about 10 steps to whatever that two is because if we find it easy, we can, we can find it easy to uh, check off each one of the ten steps or five or however many you put to it and get to the end and you haven't really arrived at what you were promised to arrive at anyhow. Or sometimes we justify ourselves and think, well, now I got my ten steps done, I'm good. And so I, I tend to, to um, question some of those, not, not saying that they don't have their place. The other thing that concerns me about a ten-step list as far as maintaining a biblical uh, lifestyle in a, in a complex world, is that probably in a year or less, it would be outdated anyway. With the amount of change that goes on in the world around us, in the society around us, um, I, 
to create a list uh, would probably be applicable today, but probably not so applicable uh, in the near future. It wouldn't last long. And then I grappled a lot with the, the idea of preserving a simple lifestyle, and I agree with the thought. And, it, and yet we all have to grapple, we all have to focus, we all have to realize that we're living in, in a community where we've been blessed. Uh, is it a blessing or is it a curse? That could be debated. But we have opportunity in this community. Like, I think sometimes we take for granted and we don't quite realize. I'm thinking especially in terms of when there's, in 08, there was a, a somewhat of a recession, we call it, in in. in in 2020, there was, of course, the, the pandemic, and, and we hear of people um, having had difficult times during that, where in our community here, we exploded, and, and there was plenty to do. And I'm sure there were some of us among us that maybe not, that wasn't the case. But we hardly felt the economic impact in this community that some people did in other parts of the United States alone, suffice it to say, other countries because of our thriftiness, because of, I think, just because of where we're at. And not a one of us um, has earned this or deserves it. But we're here, and this is where God has put us, and I believe he's put us here for a purpose. And so we need to figure out what that purpose is, and we need to, um, we need, we need to, to fulfill that purpose. We have a lot of opportunity, and we have a lot of opportunity in this area to do well. And we see that around us. And so that is something that, that we need to focus on, something that we need to think about. How do we maintain a biblical focus in the affluent culture that we live in, or in the affluent community that we live in here in Lancaster County, southeastern Pennsylvania? Or one could write... Let me rephrase this. Also aware that in the thought of preserving a simple lifestyle, there is actually a certain trend that is going around, and, and, and maybe there's people that are frustrated um, with the clutter and all that the, a complex world brings us. And so there's this whole thing of minimalist living or tiny homes, and those things that are some people are doing quite well in. And if either one of us would go down that trail and follow that trend, we could probably even start a YouTube channel and be an influencer and influence others to a simplistic lifestyle. Maybe we should consider that actually and take a biblical approach to it. So you, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 if you care to. As I was thinking about this subject and, and meditating on what direction to head with it, my mind was drawn to the parable of the sower. Matthew and Mark also record this parable in their Gospels. And Matthew and Mark give us a picture that Jesus was teaching this from a boat because there were so many people that had come around. He needed to get, um, and he got into a boat, pushed out offshore a little bit, and was speaking to the people from on the, on the ground from the boat. And just prior to this, especially in Matthew's Gospel, you see that Jesus said, whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. And focusing on 
what is important? What is the important thing in life? And Jesus emphasized that it is the will of whoever does the will of his Father in heaven. I'll read Luke chapter 8 and verses 5 through 15. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it, and some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it, and other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that they seeing might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that, but that on the good ground are they which, in an honest and a good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. There's four elements in this parable. There's the sower, and there's the seed, and there's the soil, and then the birds. And from our farming background, I think all of us can fairly watch, um, identify with this parable. We can, we can picture what's going on here. And I know there may be um, things to be said about whether we should plow the ground or whether we should not plow the ground and plant the seed. And we'll, but we'll lay that aside and we'll, we'll focus and we'll look at this parable from, I think, as Jesus is speaking it here in terms of what we would consider as traditional farming, where the ground is prepared. There's a furrow planted. The picture that's given to us, it, I believe, that my understanding is that as Jesus said this, the disciples would have been picturing a furrow, a prepared furrow, and the sower walking along and dropping the seeds into the furrow, just a, little, a lot like we plant garden today. The sower is the one who sprinkled the seeds into the prepared furrows. And then there's four types of soil. There's the wayside soil. The soil is, could be the path between the furrows, the packed down ground, the unplowed ground. There's no possibility of the seed entering the ground in the wayside soil. There's the stony soil. This soil had enough of soil in it that the seed could get in and take root, but not enough of soil to sustain growth. It was too many stones, too many rocks. There was no possi- It was too dry. There was not enough of moisture for the seed to grow in the stony soil. And then there's the thorny soil. And this is a soil where the weeds have not been sufficiently cleared away. This isn't so much uh, a bunch of I'm not sure how I always pictured this to be, but as I studied it, it it was more giving me the picture of of there's too many other things around. There's soil there, there's fertile soil there, but there's too much there uh, for for, uh, the the seed gets taken away or can't grow and, and 
flourish. And then, of course, the fertile soil, which is the rich, the well-prepared soil. The ground has been broken up, and the seed can take root and grow. And then there's also the birds. The birds are following along as the farmer scatters the seed, and as much as possible, they're snatching up the seed before any good thing comes upon it. And we get that picture, too. We see the farmers out plowing the fields, and the seagulls are are following along, uh, trying to get that worm before anyone else does. So we can, we can picture this in our minds. The disciples, uh, when Jesus gave this parable, said, well, what does this parable mean? And Jesus went ahead and explained it. It's very simple, not difficult at all. The seed is the word of God. And the seed is communicated by reading the scriptures, by preaching the word, by divine providence, or sometimes the Holy Spirit um, plants the seed in the hearts of lives. And the sower is simply the means by which the word is spread, by which the seed is spread. The soil is the hearts of mankind. And going back again uh, over these four types of soil, the wayside soil is, is a hardened heart, a heart that's packed down, it's impenetrable. The, the seed cannot enter into that soil. And it could be a number of different reasons that contribute to that. Perhaps it's simply someone who was born into a situation where have not had the opportunity to hear the word of God, have, not, have maybe been born into the situation where it's a difficult environment. And, and when they do hear the word of God, the environment they're in, they live in just doesn't give opportunity for that, that word, that seed to, to, to uh, settle and take root to germinate and take root and bring forth fruit. Sometimes hardened hearts is from sinful responses to life's difficulties. We experience difficulties in life. Sometimes we're hurt. Sometimes we've been wronged by others, be it by abuse or whatever it is. And our hearts are hardened, and the seed can't bring forth fruit. Matthew has an interesting phrase where he adds, and understandeth it not. Let me just... uh, find that verse. Matthew uh, thirteen nineteen is the verse I'm looking for. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and snatcheth the, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. He kind of adds a, a, a different twist to it, where perhaps the seed was sown, but it wasn't sown in a way that the, the, the hearer could understand. Then there's the stony heart. The stony heart t- joyfully receives the word, but there's a shallow commitment. Maybe this is a, the, an easy believism gospel that's preached. And, and there's a quick commitment made, but it doesn't bring forth fruit. The stones of selfishness and self-centeredness block the seed from reaching the deep soil, and it can't grow and bring forth sustainable fruit. Quickly it withers when trials of faith come along. And then there's the thorny heart. It's good soil, but it's too crowded. It's too distracted. It's too busy. There's too many things. The soil is there. It's ripe for the seed. But there's so much clutter in this heart's 
life that it can't the 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 fruit can't grow it can't grow and bring forth the seed can't grow and bring forth fruit maybe we could learn or maybe it's a little like when the children of Israel when they moved into the promised land and they didn't drive out all the inhabitants of the land they were commanded when they went into to the promised land to to drive out all the inhabitants but they didn't and we know how that story went maybe it's from trying to keep one foot on each side of the door. We don't want to completely give up everything that we need to There's, and, and cut out the clutter in our lives. Cares, riches, and pleasures of this world, uh, Luke refers to in verse 14. The care of this world could be the anxieties, the worries, being overcome by temporal things, and even life itself sometimes just feels overwhelming and heavy, and, and it prevents us from bringing forth fruit. Or the, deceitful, the deceitfulness of riches. The Bible has much to say on the deceitfulness of riches. Verses like Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Being caught up with the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and it keeps the, the seed from bringing forth fruit in our lives. This is the thorny heart that we're talking about that's cluttered. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. Luke adds the pleasures of this life. Matthew and Mark just refer to mention the first two, and then Luke adds the pleasures of this life. And this would refer to satisfying the appetites of the flesh, um, including but not limited to sexual desires, making ourselves comfortable. And we'll get more into get into more of that later. All of the above three things promise much. They produce nothing, and they're elusive and evasive and never satisfy, never bring enough. When, when things become more important to us than God, they become idols and stifle our relationship with him, and that's what happens in the thorny soil. There's too much clutter, too many things got in the way of that deep relationship with God. Let's move into the fruitful heart then. The fruitful heart is that soil that's cultivated by submission, by surrender, allowing the word of God to penetrate into its life, touch its life, change its life, uh, a life of submission, surrender, and discipline. This, life has a, this heart has allowed the plowshares of the word to break up the fallow ground, to loosen it up. It's responded biblical, biblically to the difficulties and pressures of life. For a number of years, uh, there where we live, the neighbor farmed the ground with horses. It's not farmed with horses anymore, but it was always intriguing to me to watch him out there, and, and there's often six or eight horses, especially when he's pulling something heavy, plodding along in the field. And as he pulled his plow through, that ground took a lot of beating, the plodding of the horse, and then the plowshares turning and breaking up the soil. And so he come back Till the farmer came back with his seed to plant the seed, it had taken quite a, a beating. The thorns, the thistles, and the stones were removed. 
The soil was fertile. The springtime sun had warmed it. The rains kept it moist and receptive. And then when he scatters the seed into this kind of a heart, the ground can receive it. It's prepared. It's ready for the soil. The soil receives the seed before the birds and the predators can snatch it away and keep it from bringing forth fruit. The soil, the prepared soil, absorbs and feeds the seed. And that seed can settle down into the the ground. It can germinate and it can grow and become a fruitful plant. And again, we can identify with this as, as in the farming community that we live in. Might not all be farmers, but probably a good many of us have gardens. And we, we know what it's like to put that seed into the ground and watch it grow. And it's just an incredible thing, an amazing thing that that tiny little seed can grow up into a, a corn stalk 10, 12 feet tall with one or two rich, big, fat ears of corn on it and bring forth much fruit. That's the fruitful heart we're talking about, that heart that is is cultivated by submission and surrender and discipline to the word of God. It's an honest and it's a good heart. It heard the word, it kept the word, and now it's bringing forth fruit. And then there's the birds. The birds is the destroyer of our souls who is out to snatch us away before the, snatch away the seed before it gets to our hearts. That's the devil. He's out there and he has presented so many things and there's so much I could say about some of his tactics is he uses on us today. And then I found this reading in a devotional booklet by A.W. Tozer that I have at home and use occasionally. And this is what A.W. Tozer wrote some many years ago. Of all the calamities that have been visited upon the world, the surrender of the human spirit to this present world and its ways is the worst, without doubt. No oriental monarch ever ruled his cowering subjects with any more cruel tyranny than things, visible things, audible things, tangible things, rule mankind. That we who were made to communicate with angels and archangels and seraphim and with the God who made them all, that we should settle down here as a wild eagle of the air, come down to scratch in the barnyard with the common hens, this I say is the worst of anything that has ever come to the world. And I believe that We might have our doctrine sound. We might know our scripture. We might know the Bible from end to end and do well with that and do well with teaching and preaching. We have missions, but if we're not careful, Satan brings about and and makes us so busy that we don't have time to sit down. I like the verse behind me says on the wall, be still and know that I am God. Of the four types of soil, I'd like to to circle back and talk about the thorny ground because I believe that's probably the one, well, I guess maybe I can't put you all in the same boat as myself, but it's the one I find for myself that I struggle with the most. The thorny ground is the one that convicts me the most, that of being too busy, too cluttered with the cares of life, the temporal things. How much time and energy did I put into the temporal things of life? And I was challenged uh, by testimony after testimony uh, through my Uncle Sammy's uh, viewing and funeral of people who, who he had reached out to, who he had ministered to, phone calls he made. He would call one of his grandsons when he knew his grandson was going through a difficult time and sing a song. They had a song they would sing to each other over the phone. Amazing. But it took time 
and it took a heart for him to do that. And I confess that I find myself get so cluttered and so busy with the cares of life. Let's turn into our Bibles to, for some other scriptures to First John 2. First John 2, and I just want to look at a few verses here, 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of what lasts. It's a matter of, of eternal values. Love not the world. It passes away. Never satisfies anything. And then he specifies three aspects of life. And I don't think there's a single sin that can be committed that doesn't fit inside one of these categories. Probably not a single desire or distraction that we face in our lives that doesn't fit inside one of these categories. In verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh pertaining to the sensual desires of the flesh. It can be food. It can be comfort. We like to have uh, relaxation, and there's time for that. Jesus even did that. We like to make sure we mention that when we have our vacations planned. But just think of the amount of money that is spent in the United States alone on, on, on vacation, on free time, and All kinds of things to make us comfortable and relaxed. We tend to refer mostly to this as the sexual or immoral desire or immoral application of the desires in our lives that we have. And it pertains to that as well. But I believe it also includes any, anything that satisfies the desires of the flesh. Do we love that? Is that what is our focus? Is that where it drives us in, from day to day in our lives? The lust of the eyes, is that which pleases the eye? Extravagant beauty, obsessed with the vanities of life. There's that, I believe, refers to possessions or property or homes or clothing. We like to have things nice. It's a lot of pressure in our community to have our lawns merged nice, right? And, and that has its place. I'm not saying that it's wrong, but it's when it obsesses us when it overtakes us and when it keeps that when it keeps that seed from landing in our soil and germinating when it keeps us from taking time to be still and know that God is God that's when it's wrong when it when we forget that these things are temporal and pass away so quickly is when it becomes wrong in our lives and then there's the pride of life that of positions, of power, of prestige, of honor, titles, liking to be recognized, pedigrees. When those things are, are driving forces in our life, when they overtake us, they're wrong, and they, they can become idols to us because they take our attention and our devotion away from God. And verse 17, just keeping in mind that these things are temporal. The world passes away, and the lusts thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Floyd's mom went to her eternal reward this past, a little over a week ago. My Uncle Sammy went to his eternal reward. There's others that have gone on to their eternal reward. What 
could they take with them? For that, we turn to the scripture that, that Floyd read, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain in verse 6. What is contentment? Verse 7 says, you brought nothing into the world when you came. You're not going to carry anything out. We didn't see that at my uncle's funeral. We didn't see that at Floyd's mom's funeral. There was nothing. They, they took nothing with them. Nothing. Nothing except the hearts and the souls and the investments they had placed into the lives of those before them, of those around them, the lives that they touched. That's the only thing they could take. But when it comes to possessions and material things, worldly things, they took nothing with them, brought nothing and left with nothing. Verse 8, having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Um, should that be the verse that's in front of all of our shopping lists or our wish lists, having food and raiment? Let us be there with content. How much food? What kind of food? In the funeral yesterday, there was a man drinking a cup of coffee, and he says, it's good coffee, but it's old. He had been instrumental in starting a coffee shop somewhere. You know, we set our standards high, and the bar keeps getting higher and higher and higher. If you stop and take a moment in our lives, we see it in our lives. And I've said this, I've probably said this over the pulpit here before, but, you know, we, we, we set that bar. It, it's, I look back at my childhood and growing up, and we were doing good if we had cheese in our sandwiches, and we grew up on a dairy and had margarine. Um, no worries, Mom, we're fine. Um, But we've moved on from that, you know, in our household. Are you kidding? It has to be butter. And I grew up with a push mower, and we mowed yard, that whole front yard with a push mower. I think it was probably close to three acres. Well, I'm sure it wasn't, but it felt that way some days. And now we have a fraction of that much yard to mow. We have to have that self-propelled mower and, even better yet, a zero turn. So you get the picture. I'm only trying to create. I'm not casting judgment on anything. I'm not meaning to do that. But, but this bar keeps getting set higher and higher and higher with each passing generation. And I'm not sure which is worse, that or the other. I've seen some of the other go on, too, where in some more conservative circles where it seems like plainer is better. The next generation thinks that plainer is better, and then it goes downhill and it doesn't look good that way either. But when those, things pos- when those things obsess us, and I think we need to determine for ourselves, and we can help each other with that. That's part of what a brotherhood is for. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. They that will be rich fall into temptation and snare. The, the, uh, the, the warnings are there. They're straight from the word of God. They're not hard to understand. It doesn't take a lot of... It doesn't take a a degree in in Greek or Hebrew to understand these things because the word says it and then we see it if we observe in the lives of people around us. Verse 9, They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and and into many foolish and hurtful lusts 
which drowned men in destruction and perdition. Many, many a good man, best intentions in their hearts, has been overtaken by that drive for money, that drive for possessions, that drive for more, and it's taken them away and separates themselves from God and destroys families, it destroys relationships. doesn't have to, but it, it can and often will. If it's not handled with, I believe a lot of what defines how these things um, affect us or how, yeah, how they affect our lives is, is just maintaining that focus. The main thing, I believe, is maintaining that focus on the Word of God, keeping the Word of God in front of us, being honest with things like this when we read them in the Word, and also seeing the things that we've been given and the blessings, realizing, first of all, that they are given to us, and then secondly, being good stewards and seeing ourselves as stewards of what God has given to us. <clears throat> Verse 11 here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 gives us some warning. Thou, a man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Verse 12. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Not only does he give us a warning about what we should turn from, but he also tells us what to follow. We're supposed to flee these things, these things that have wings, these things that promise much but deliver little, these things that absorb our time and steal our relationships, these things that choke out the word of God in our lives. But flee those things, turn our backs on that, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, Patience, meekness. Again, we could go into definitions of each of those words, but it's not difficult for us to understand if we just read it and believe it and follow it. Fight the good fight of faith. It takes work. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. It takes a plan. It takes a vision in our lives to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. Verse 14 says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we flee these things and we follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness, when we fight the good fight of faith, when we lay hold on eternal life, we can come before the Father at our time of reckoning without spot, unrebukable. And hear his words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I think that's also another thing that we need to keep in mind is that goal, that focus of where we will be, what has eternal value, what, what is our goal, what is our purpose in life. There's a degree, I believe, to where we can't control uh, I want to say the circumstances of life. I'm not sure that's quite saying it right, but I'm referring more particularly to to the culture that we're involved in, the community and the families and the homes that we're born into. That's not a choice that we made, but it's what we do with that 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 makes all the difference in our lives. 
We can't control the circumstances of our life, but to a large degree, we can chart the course for our lives. As someone has said, I heard it twice this past week, we can choose the destination and accept the path, or choose the path and accept the destination. We can choose the destination and accept the path, or choose the path and accept the destination. When we choose the right destination, it, it's, it takes a path of discipline. It takes a path of sacrifice, of giving up our will to the will of God. So I think in conclusion, there are several things that we need to reckon with. And it's simply this. Does the Bible say what it means? And does the Bible mean what it says? And what am I going to do about it? Does the Bible mean say what it means? Does it mean what it says? And what am I going to do about it? Just this, you had a little poem that I learned a long time ago. I don't know when, but it's just a simple little poem. Overheard in the orchard. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Let's kneel for prayer.